Good morning again, church. It is good to see you all in the house on this morning. Um, Kelly said a little bit earlier that the Lord is doing some great things, and he is, amen? amen? And I say to you this morning that my heart is very full. I came in extremely excited about uh, these baptisms. We have quite a few folks who are interested in church membership. And I'm sorry, I, I, am, I am compelled during this service. Um, Jackie Hicks, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm just compelled to acknowledge. For those of you all who may not be aware, our young sister has been dealing with some chronic pain for quite some time, and it has been very rough on her and the family, and it appears as if the Lord has healed her, and she is walking around, and it is good, amen. I look forward to her saying from her own mouth what the Lord has done, but that's just me wanting to acknowledge that God is doing some great things. And we should not take that for granted. Amen? Amen? Now, having said that, I have a difficult passage to preach. So, <laughs> may the Lord be with us. Um, I'll ask you to rise for the reading of the scriptures. If you are visiting, we have been talking some about loving our God as well as our neighbors and trying to see what that looks like practically. Uh, this morning, we come to a portion of Scripture that deals with loving an enemy. Loving an enemy. So I'm going to read Luke 6, 27 through 35 in your hearing. I'll pray and then you can take your seat. Amen? The word of the Lord reads as follows. But I say to you who hear, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away, from your, uh, takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
Father, we come to this portion of Scripture. And it's one thing to read it, it's another thing to put it in practice. Help us, Lord, as we look to this passage and play with it a little bit. May your Spirit help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This, uh, this passage of Scripture is something that um, I don't know if I would say is dear to me, but it is a portion of Scripture that I've um, had to deal with uh, from time to time. And what I mean by that is virtually all of my vocational ministry has been located in difficult neighborhoods. And seeing violence and tension and trying to mediate, uh, there have been times where this portion of Scripture uh, served as a go-to. And what's interesting is, obviously there are folks who do not believe in Jesus and it doesn't surprise me that this portion of Scripture is like, to them, no way whatsoever. But I've also dealt with folks who do claim to know Christ. And still, this portion of Scripture is difficult. I've tried to not only give my own thoughts, but I've tried to do my due diligence and listening to various sermons and um, seeing what others have been saying about this passage. Um, you know, for example, I've spent a lot of time this week um, listening uh, perhaps to one who would be obvious, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who preached on this in light of what he was going through and dealing with. I listened to Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, a fellow PCA guy, and then also looked at some of John's Piper's stuff as it relates to this. And I'm not suggesting that I'm standing up here giving to you what they have said. Uh, were they to ever listen to this, which I don't anticipate, but uh, I don't know whether or not they would recognize anything. But nonetheless, these were folks who I've saw some material that tried to deal with the ins and outs of this. So that being said, uh, we're going to look at uh, some highlights from this passage of Scripture. We won't deal with every single element, or rather every single verse, but we will deal with uh, some of the major elements. Now, I want you to take into consideration the context. Twofold. Twofold. For one, Luke, the author of this gospel, he is writing sometime after um, Jesus Christ has already gone to the Lord, or to the Father. So this is years uh, after Jesus has come. He did his thing, and then again, he went back to the Father. And what has happened between Jesus' going to the Father up until Luke's time, persecution of Christians started to become widespread. So for example, at one point, 
it seemed to be a persecution that was contained in Jerusalem and maybe surrounding areas. But by Luke's time and other um, uh, Christians, now persecution had spread as far as Rome. So persecution was local, and now it's starting to take part in other places. And Luke is writing during this time. Now, in Jesus' own time, of course, he was experiencing persecution, and he had lots of enemies, obviously. And so this is something that is being said in the midst of fire. This is not some abstract uh, theory that has not really been tested. This is something that is being declared by Christ in real time, in real persecution, in real violence. Now, having said that, this would have been something that uh, to the people, what did I just hear? Perhaps you have, you know, I don't know if you've been in scenarios where you've heard something said and you really don't know if you actually heard what you thought you heard. I remember one time getting in trouble. I won't say what I actually said to my mother. (laughs) But I heard a friend say something to his mother when he was upset. And his mother didn't do anything. I figured I could go and do the same thing. And I recall, I remember the the, the expression that my mother had upon hearing or thinking she heard what she heard. Did I just, what did you just say? And I knew she heard it, but I didn't want to repeat it because now I know she's really tracking. But, and of course, she took care of business. (laughs) But nonetheless, she she couldn't believe what she actually heard. But she did hear (laughs) what she heard. And Jesus often said things that would have caught people off guard. He said things that that they would have scratched their head about. They would have said, did he really just say what I thought he said? You see, Jesus' ministry, of course, we talk a great deal about him going to the cross, and rightly so. And for any minister to preach the gospel without the cross, that's ooh. But Jesus not only went to the cross, Jesus went about healing. Jesus was a doctor. Jesus was a hospital in many ways. But Jesus also had a teaching ministry. And his ministry, while it did comfort, uh, in most cases, the outcasts, at the same time, a lot of what he said was difficult to hear, even amongst those who were following him. And this is one of those things. 
Now, I've tried to, I've tried to visualize, or not visualize, but I've tried to, to rack in my mind, how do, I, how do I communicate this to faith? And, and I ask that question in light of, you know, there are Christians in certain parts of the world who are experiencing uh, violence and, and, and uh, persecution, and how is it that they would receive a passage like this? And this is not to suggest that you know, folks in my hearing aren't, uh, don't have enemies, but I- I'm trying to, I was wrestling, Lord, how do I communicate this? May the Lord help. Amen? Amen. Now, in this text, a few things, and I-, I really want to run quickly to the application, but a few things that, that may stand out, okay? In verse number 27, Jesus starts, or the text starts off, but I say to you who hear. Now, Jesus is often saying things that are contrary to the thoughts of the day. So, for example, when you look at um, uh, uh, the other examples of this passage of Scripture, for example, in Matthew, you know, the people would have heard, you love those who love you, but you hate those who hate you. And then Jesus would come along and say, but I say. Jesus would go around and say, you have heard it said, this or that, but I say. And here is something that Jesus is bringing up that would have rang contrary to the ears of most of his audience. And he says right off the top, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. This in many ways (laughs) seems quite extreme. And regardless of Various interpretations, perhaps, we cannot deny that it's in the Word. Amen? It's in your Bible. This is not something that, you know, that we can avoid, if you will. And so it's a real thing that's being communicated here. Now, what is an enemy? What is an enemy? In the Scriptures... The enemy is not simply someone who means to do you physical harm. It is someone who stands opposed to who you are, what you stand for, and they actively work against it. An enemy can be, again, not someone who's just after your life to take it out, but it can be someone who is trying to destroy your cause. And it's actually possible to treat someone like an enemy without identifying them as your enemy. For example, you can have uh, uh, an employee that, that you just don't like or they just don't like you, and you might not necessarily think of them in terms of an enemy, but your actions toward one another can make you an enemy. We see this 
on some level in the political world. You are one party, I'm another party, and you know, and not saying our interactions are always couched in enemy language or terms, but things do tend to get out of hand. And in Jesus' day and in Luke's day, an enemy was someone who stood contrary to the cause of Jesus Christ. Someone who did not take well to what Jesus was communicating, what Jesus stood for, and what his followers were trying to promote. An enemy was someone who actively worked against the gospel, if you will. And the truth is, there are those who do that to this very day. Now, that being said, that is somewhat straightforward. And is Christ saying uh, to actually do these things? Well, let me come to that in my application, but virtually, yes. He goes on and says in verse number 30, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. This is a verse that, that from a situational ethics standpoint, uh, has a lot of views and interpretations. So, for example, uh, well, uh, what this is in essence is saying that someone who has a need that meets their good, if it's in your power to provide for that actual good, then yes, you should give unto them. But if someone is asking for something that is not for their good, for example, give me money for drugs, or they wouldn't perhaps say that, but give me money, and you know where it's going. Are we supposed to give in that context? And this... This can be a whole sermon in and of itself. There are books written about, in essence, this one verse. And it's not my point to, to talk about all of these different scenarios. But all that to say, there are some who would say, well, Jesus is not, the, the, the pretext is not giving for the purpose of allowing someone to do destruction to their body or to their soul. Again, there are various ways of looking at that. But nonetheless, it's here, and it's something we have to wrestle with. And then, of course, he goes on in verse 31, which some of us would refer to as the golden rule. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, he goes on, and I won't read through, verse, I won't read through uh, verses 32 through 34, but in essence, he's saying, look, you must be different. Because what I'm asking you to do will make you different from the rest of the world. For if you only love those who love you, then you're just acting as the world, as sinners. But to follow Jesus is to be different. And then he ends this passage with saying, hey, this will not be for nothing. The truth is your reward will be great and you will be sons or sons and daughters of the Most High. And then he gives the example of how God even shows kindness to those who are not uh, following him. So this text, again, it's on some level straightforward, but it does beg a lot of questions. But the bigger points for this morning, I want you to consider a few things. The first, 
Loving an enemy is an imperative. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. And by the way, I should have said this, so let me pause this point. I want to be sensitive because there are some, um, some perhaps ethical issues that arise. For example, I'm not standing in the pulpit and saying, if there's someone in this congregation who is living in a household who is being physically abused or sexually abused or whatever, that you do not say anything. I am not suggesting that this text leads us to that. You should report that. And I would stand very strongly on that. So again, I know there are certain scenarios where and you, children who are in school, if there's a bully or you're being bullied in, in whatever capacity, I'm not saying that Jesus is saying necessarily to stand there and don't report it or anything of that nature, just to be, 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 be abused and not speak to it. I'm not suggesting that. But there are scenarios where we do take the wrong that is done to us, trusting Jesus. There are cases where that's what we are called to do. But going back to this first point, again, loving an enemy is not an option. I've said this before with other imperatives of Scripture. We cannot pick and choose what we wish to follow. We cannot say, well, this is easier, this is more in line with how I feel or what I think, and therefore I'm going to do that. But things that are hard and difficult or uncomfortable, uh, well, did Jesus really mean that? Or this is in the word of God. And though it's difficult to do, though it might be difficult to understand, though there might be questions that we need to wrestle with and think about, it is something that makes us like Christ. Loving an enemy is not an option. It is an imperative. The second thing is, I want you to consider an example specifically from Scripture. I want you to think about David and Saul. You will remember Saul was the first king of the united Israel. And David, uh, who, you know, was this fella who wasn't really thought of at one point, he becomes uh, anointed. Saul had, in essence, turned his back, disobeyed God, and God said, you know what? I reject him from being king. I'm going to go, and I'm going to choose someone after my own heart. And he raises up an unlikely candidate, specifically David. And at first, if you're familiar with the story, you'll see it, by the way, in First and Second Samuel, or you can turn to Chronicles. But at first, they seem to be together and good and everything is okay. David is serving Saul and he's helping Saul, but then Saul turns on him. And he, in essence, he becomes David's enemy, so much so that he tries to kill him on multiple occasions. And David, ironically, has the opportunity to take out Saul on multiple occasions. But instead of doing so, he spares the one who has become his enemy. He commits this whole scenario and his enemy unto God. 
Again, David was someone who God anointed, and you almost would think, well, maybe this is how God is bringing me to the kingdom. He's laid my enemy before me. Take him out. But David instead committed that whole situation to God. So there is an example, and I could say much more about it, but there is an example of an enemy treating someone wrong and going after them, and instead of repaying them, he chooses to follow God and let God deal with it. The third thing, and are you with me? I know I'm kind of moving quickly with these, but are y'all with me so far? You sure? The third thing is more of a question. Why is it necessary to love an enemy? In this specific passage, to love an enemy is to indicate not only to the enemy, but to the watching world, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. When I go out, and when someone speaks ill of me, and instead of returning the insult, I bless them as in, hey, I want you to do well, and I hope you do well, and you speak kind words. When someone curses you, and instead you pray for them, not for their downfall, but for their redemption, you are showing them, whether they receive it or not, you are showing them, you are showing the world, you are showing God that you are his. Now, is this a way that I would have chosen? <laughs> I don't think so, but it is the Lord's way of showing to the world that we belong to him. So again, loving an enemy is not an option. It is an imperative. It is a command that we are called to do. Loving an enemy, consider examples. I gave you David and Saul, but perhaps you can think of a number of others. And then thirdly, it is necessary because it is a witness to others that we, again, are sons and daughters of Christ. Now, in closing, Jesus and again, I've said this before. Jesus does not call you to do something that he has not done. Let me say that again. Jesus is not saying to his people, he is not saying to you and to me to go and do something, receive something that he himself did not experience. We can't say to Jesus, oh, you don't know how this feels. Oh, you, 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 you don't have the experience. You, you don't know what, what it feels like, what it's, uh, how I'm being persecuted and folks are talking about me and folks hate me. And uh, You can't throw Jesus out of the picture. Jesus loved his enemies. And let me take a left turn right quick. For example... We think of enemies as folks who are opposed to Christ, and rightly so. And even upon the cross, you remember the prayer of Jesus. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about that for a second. Think about that. And, and, and I, I, every time I think about the cross, 
And in my personal reading, I've been going through Matthew and I just finished up uh, with him being on the cross and how all of these folks are walking past him and talking about him and ha ha, you did this, ha ha, you did that. Come down off the cross and we'll believe you. And, and I said this, I think even here, if, if I was Christ, I would have came down right then and there. <laughs> There's only so much you can take. And he could have, from a, uh, an ability standpoint, but it wasn't the will of the Father. He had to endure it. So Jesus knows what it's like to be mistreated, to be talked about. So much so that he went to the cross and he did nothing wrong. In some of our cases, we, you know, when we go and we talk about others, we need to access, what did I do? Do I have the, the, the log out of my eye first? Jesus didn't have to do any of that. And yet, he is being treated the way he is. So again, Jesus knows exactly what it's like. And when he asks you to do it, when he asks me to do it, he knows because he's done it. But the left turn that I wanted to make is, well, it's one thing to think about those who are opposed to Christ. Did you know, many of you all should know this, but we were not, let me, practically speaking, I know God chose us from the foundations of the earth, but we were born enemies, if you will. The scripture says that we were shaped in iniquity. We, we, were, we were born on the wrong time as a result of original sin and things of that nature. And yet, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, i.e. enemies, God poured out his love upon us. Again, we are with Christ now, praise the Lord, but do not forget that this was not always the case. And perhaps it's easier for those who came to, to Christ later in life than those who might have come to Christ earlier. But regardless, we all were born in need of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so he has loved us even when we were considered enemies by nature. And as he has done this for us, we are called to do it on his behalf. And remember, in this scripture that we read, he says your reward will be great. That's the thing I love about Jesus. Not that I should be doing any and everything because I know he's going to give me something for it, but Jesus knows what he's asking us to do is hard. And at the same time, he often couches these difficult things with promises. He knew that this would be a difficult request. But he reminded them at the end of the passage that your reward will be great. You will be called sons and daughters of the Most High. This is why Paul says elsewhere when he talks about uh, the, the believers who are just going through difficult things and they're trying to serve and yet it's hard. He says, don't grow weary while doing good for you shall reap what you sow. In other words, he asks us to do difficult things, not just to be doing them. There's reward in doing the difficult things. 
I stand here and I'm telling you and I'm telling myself that we have a command. This is not easy. And in and of ourselves, we cannot do it. This is why he provides the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. He knows that there are times where we want to, some of us have been there. Somebody said something wrong to us, and we were on the verge of saying something back. Somebody did something wrong, and we were going to figure out how to get revenge. And yet he provides the Holy Spirit to help us with these most difficult things. Brothers and sisters, there's so much more that can be said. But I want you to leave here today, not just simply considering what I've said, but above all, remember that our Lord, this is his saying, wrestle with it. Whether or not you're living in peace with others now, there may come a time where someone will act as if they are an enemy to you. And when they do, may the Holy Spirit remind you that we are called to love even those who are enemies. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless your holy name. And Lord, a passage of scripture like this is not um, necessarily one that perhaps would make us joyful and excited and happy, but yet it is your word. It is your command. It is what you have done for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church, as individuals, as families, whether or not we would call certain people enemies, folks who stand opposed to us, folks who do us wrong, folks who mean us ill will. Help us, Lord, to bless. Help us to pray. Help us to do good. Help us, Lord, to reflect what you have done for us unto them. And we pray, Lord, for redemption for those who might be considered our enemies. We look to you for that. But whether or not that happens, O oh Lord, may we stand on your word. And I pray, Father, for those difficult and sensitive situations where folks might be abused in their own homes, maybe their work environments. I pray, Lord, that those situations will be dealt with and that you will give strength and wisdom in reporting those things and protection. But Father, for those things that you've called us to simply bear, help us to bear, knowing that you are with us and that our reward will be great. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.